Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you may have uh, you may have noticed, you may have guessed that this is a little bit different uh, Sunday today at Highlands. It's um, it's certainly uh, the holiday season that, that's coming. The holiday season is is upon us. But we are, and we do this every few years. We are entering a season at Highlands where we're asking something very specific of you as our members, as our congregation. We are considering the nomination of men to go through officer training and become uh, uh, and join uh, the, the rest of the men, whether they be elders or deacons, in leadership in this church. And we will be... Um, Taking these uh, not-to-miss forms, you can, we made them like this on purpose. You can see these a mile away. Uh, they're out in the hallway. They're throughout the church. Uh, as a member, you have the opportunity to fill one of these out and turn one of these in before the end of the year. Before the 31st of December. And as a member of Highlands, we, we just ask that you, you read the, the form uh, as you look around, as you pray, as you consider, if you would like to nominate someone to go through the officer training process, we, we ask that you talk to them and make sure that they are open to something like that and they sign the card. Just follow the directions. It's, it's pretty simple. You can drop it in the offering plate. You can drop it by the office. Now, some of you inevitably are saying, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Well, if you're a member, if you're a member at Highlands, this is one of the greatest privileges that you have as a member of this church. Let me say that again. It's one of the greatest privileges that you have to look around and pray, read the Bible, and recognize someone that the Lord might be bringing forward to be the next generation and to add to our current leadership at Highlands. It's a wonderful privilege that you have. If you're, if you're a member somewhere else and you're just visiting and you're wondering, what have I walked into? Um, this applies at your church too. What we're going to talk about in the time that we have this morning applies to your church too and the leadership in your church also. If you're not a member of any church and you're, you're just visiting or you're a seeker or you're wrestling with things, what I will hope is don't, don't leave, stay. But what I would hope is that what you would see is God's priorities for his people. What is a church supposed to be doing? What's a church look like? What are the leaders in the church supposed to be doing and look like? You can get a vision of that. You can see as we walk down through this passage what that is. I'm going to ask two things as we get started. Uh, particularly those of you who are members at Highlands, would you please pray for this and through this process? From now through the end of the year and on into the new year when we do the training, please pray for Highlands and Highlands leadership. Pray for the elders. Pray for the deacons. 
pray for the pastors. Pray for us. And I'm going to ask um, now, if you are an elder or a deacon, and I'm also going to ask if you've been an elder or a deacon in another PCA church. I know there's some of you that have come here. I'm going to ask you to stand. So if you are an officer in Highlands and or an officer in another church somewhere, just stand up for a moment. Everybody just stand up. They're all over the place. There they are. It's a rough-looking crowd. Uh, take, no, no, stay standing just for a minute. Don't be shy. St- st- look, at, look at these guys. Take note. Um, these guys have responded to the call. They need your prayers. We need your prayers. Highlands need your prayers. The pastors need your prayers. Sit down. Thank you. And thank you for your leadership. So be praying. Pray for these men. Pray for the process. Pray for new men that may come in, be nominated, go through training. And secondly, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to read all these passages in the bulletin this morning, but I want you to read them. I want you to read them before you nominate someone. I'm not going to read. If you promise, you'll read them. I won't read them. Uh, you'll notice there's several passages that I've listed in the bulletin this morning. I'm going to ask that you read those before you nominate somebody. That you pray and you read through, the, through those passages before you consider nominating someone. Now, one thing to, to make clear before we get to the text, you'll notice at Highlands, we nominate people to go through the officer training process and the shepherding committee, the elders walk with them through the process. And along the way, they recommend either elder or deacon to this individual to stand for either elder or deacon through the process as we shepherd them. And all of this happens in the spring, the training, and then coming back and having an election. That will be next year. Well, let's start with First Timothy 3. Um, as we begin this process together as a church family. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, 
must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. This is God's Word. Some of you have heard me say this before. You'll probably hear me say it again. Anything worth saying is worth saying more than once. This is a beautiful building. This is a beautiful building. We are very blessed in many ways with this beautiful building. But one of the saddest things, Cindy and I have done some traveling, and we've been to Europe, and we've been around all over the United States, and one of the saddest things I see as a pastor is a beautiful, empty church. Whether it's small or whether it's big, whether it's large, a beautiful, empty church. A beautiful church building, the lights are off. And the only time the lights are on is it's become either a museum or a concert hall or a gift shop. And you walk back into these beautiful churches, which I have a number of times. I tell them I'm a pastor and I get the pastor's tour. And you go into these old churches here or across the pond and they take you back and inevitably there's photographs on the wall throughout the building of when the church was full. And the people are looking at the camera and they are smiling. And they would have never dreamt that someday their church building would be empty. That would have never been their plan. For many of them, they would have never imagined, well, this church won't ever be empty. What's the difference? Leadership. Leadership. Obviously, God's faithfulness and God's grace, but leadership, faithful elders, faithful 
deacons. Faithful congregation members who step up and respond and use their gifts. You ever heard anybody say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. You'll notice in our hymns this morning, we've been, we've been singing about the love for the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. Ever heard anybody say, I, I love Jesus. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I don't like the church. All those, there's all those people there. It's such a messy business. It's hard. I had a bad experience. I get that. But remember that Paul said in Ephesians 5.25 that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's our Savior. Our model. He didn't die for a, a building. He died for the church, the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ saying, I am the way and the truth and the life and the resurrection. I'll always be with you. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Who, he who believes in me will never die. It's upon him that we fix our eyes and our hopes and our dreams and our deepest longings. We are the bride for whom he died. But I don't have to tell you, I don't have to tell you, I'll say it anyway, I don't have to tell you, but you know that we look around at our culture and our culture is confused about virtually everything. What's a man? What's a woman? What's a marriage? What's a family? What's a job? What's my identity? Now, more than ever, we need the church to be the church. City on a hill, salt and light. And we need leaders to lead. More than ever. More than ever. Jonathan Edwards, a great American pastor, once said, the greatest gift that God gives to His church, other than Himself, is godly officers. The greatest gift that God gives to His church other than Himself is godly officers. Godly elders and deacons and pastors, ministers. Alright, let's take a few minutes. What does God want from elders? What does God want from deacons? And what does God want from all of us? What does God want from elders? What does God want from deacons? What does God want from all of us, according to Paul in this passage. Uh, what does God want from elders? Now, you may have noticed in this passage that elder and deacon are two distinct spiritual offices or callings. There's not one that's better than the other. It has more value than other different skill sets, different callings, different jobs, so to speak. But let's get right to the heart of what it is to be an elder. Here it is. We, we spend eight to ten weeks talking about this in the spring. We've just got a few minutes here. Let's get to the heart of it. What's an elder all about? An elder 
more than anything else, desires to disciple. An elder desires to disciple. Now, we should all desire to disciple. We should all desire to train and help others. But elders lead us in this. These are the shepherds that lead us in discipleship. They lead us in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Right? Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Elders have a passion for that. Elders have a passion for people coming to Christ and growing in Christ and shepherding them and leading them in that process of becoming conformed to the image of Christ. They desire to disciple. Now, you probably noticed they do this in, in public ways. They do this in private ways. In public ways. Okay? Make note, if you're thinking about somebody that, that God is, is bringing forward, make note. Public ways. They attend worship. They attend Sunday school class. They attend ministry events at, at Highlands. They, they love the people of God and love being with the people of God. They help serve the Lord's Supper that you, you see. They conduct, many of you haven't seen this, but they conduct uh, anointing services. We do this actually fairly often upstairs on the second floor for someone who is uh, ill, sick. So I can already see a number of you that have, have been on both sides of that service on the second floor. It's a wonderful time. It often involves tears and oil and hands and prayer. They do that on a regular basis. They teach. Maybe up front behind a, a lectern, maybe one-on-one. -on -one. When it says teach here, they're leading us and overseeing this. They may be better one-on-one. -on -one. They may be better up front. But public ways. And then in private ways, I, I, I just have to tell you, one of the things that I am most encouraged about, about Highlands, I've been here almost six years, I knew this about Highlands before I came, it's one of the reasons I wanted to come, is because the elders in this church, the people that you saw, many of the people that you saw stand here, will absolutely walk in to hard things. They will walk into hard shepherding, discipling, pastoring issues. And they do it every week. They do it every single week. They really do. Some of you are smiling. You know. But that it's behind the scenes. And we have a, what's called a shepherding committee. A very, all the pastors are on this committee and a number of elders. And they do hard things in prayerful, loving ways. And uh, there's almost 20 committees in, in our church with a number of people serving in, in different kinds of ways. So they do it in private ways. But look at what Paul emphasizes here first. His emphasis is, first of all, character. Character and example. Character and example. This is a noble task. They should be above reproach. 
good husbands and fathers, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. It gets real practical. They don't drink too much. They're not violent. They're gentle. They're not obsessed with money. They're not recent converts. They're not prideful people, and they have a good reputation in the community. Their character and their example. In the first Peter passage that's listed there, when Peter writes his letter and he begins establishing leadership in the church in Asia Minor among these scattered churches, one of the first things he says when he begins to establish leadership is this. First Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1. So exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. These are Peter's words as he's establishing leadership, but being examples to the flock. One commentator on this this, this passage said, this, this noble task, when Paul speaks of this noble task, he's not encouraging people to seek status, but seek responsibility. Not status, but responsibility. And teaching. Character, example, teaching. We want all people to teach in in various ways and throughout the church. If you have that, if we have if you have that gift, but the elders oversee the teaching. Again, they desire to equip people and to train people for ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Earlier in the service, we sang, For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend, to her my cares and toils be given, till toils and care shall end. Character, example, teaching. They want to see people discipled and grow. What does God want from deacons? What does God want from deacons? How can we get to the to heart of this, the, the core of this? The word deacon essentially means serve. Deacons, if you want to put in a little phrase, seek to serve. Deacons seek to serve. They do this in in very public ways. They manage the building. They manage the grounds. Um, They, um, I I don't want to embarrass him. I'll probably embarrass him if I mentioned who did this. One of our deacons made this and made that. They They do this and they do that all over the church. You probably didn't know that. Um, they do that all over the church. And, and they do simple things like handing out bulletins and making coffee and turning lights on and off and overseeing things like security for this building, for you, and IT, benevolence ministry, mercy ministry, partnering with other benevolence and mercy ministries around town to help people with real down-to-earth concrete needs. Um, 
those are public ways. Some of the ways that are, are less public is we do a lot of benevolence ministry with people who are sometimes desperate. Happens fairly often. Uh, someone will come in just destitute and desperate, and we have a process by which our deacons help them. Happens on a regular basis. This word deacon, by the way, is a wonderful word. It goes way, way back. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an ancient word that essentially means service in the presence of a king. In other words, the imagery for a deacon in the Bible is somebody that is responding to a king and following him around, the king being Jesus, following him around and being there when he needs something. That's the imagery of a deacon in the Bible. And of course, the, the, the supreme example of, of a deacon in the Bible is one of my great, great heroes in the Bible. You remember the first deacon, the man who was probably the first deacon, Stephen? You can see it in Acts 6 through 8. Uh, the church is growing. Needs are growing. Ministry, discipling needs and teaching needs are growing, but also physical needs are growing in these congregations that are beginning to grow. And the apostles are, are overwhelmed with all the needs. And some people aren't getting served their fair portions. And they're not having their daily ordinary needs met. And they don't say, well, look, we're, we're, we're teaching and we're discipling. We can't worry about these needs over here. No, the office of deacon is born. Pick from you seven men and we'll begin to have deacons. You know, they don't say it's going to be all teaching and no mercy. They don't say it's going to be all mercy and no teaching. We've got to have both. We've got to have both. And, of course, Stephen is chosen. Stephen is chosen. Maybe you've heard, have you ever heard anybody say Christianity is better caught than taught? I don't know if you've ever heard that. I used to hear that all the time. Christianity is better caught than taught. There's some truth to that. I get that. But really, Christianity is better caught and taught. We need both. The ministry of the Word and the ministry of service and mercy and benevolence in the midst of this broken, fallen, needy world. And what's happening here in Acts 6 through 8 is both. Both. Our book of church order puts it this way. It, it uh, puts it well. It is the duty of the deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. And to any who may be in distress. And that's exactly what Stephen is doing. And you may remember that for doing all this, what does Stephen get? For stepping up, responding, serving, waiting tables, being the first, if not one of the first, deacons, what does he get for his trouble? He gets stoned. In this rising tide of persecution, Peter gets dragged out of town and stoned. Stoned to death. And it, with his dying words, he says this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Christ is still his model. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know when Stephen is last mentioned in the Bible? He's last mentioned in the Bible by the man who was standing there cheering on the death of Stephen. Saul, who would eventually become Paul, who's looking at Stephen. He's a Pharisee at this time, and he's encouraging the crowd as they stone him. And Paul, after his conversion, he looks back and he's talking about, he's basically giving his testimony. He's giving his testimony in Acts 22, and he's going through the high points of his testimony. And Paul says this, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. There is no doubt that this witness, this example of Stephen, watched by Paul, changed Paul forever. Paul is passionate about deacons. He mentions the first deacon in his testimony as a witness, his service, his sacrifice, meeting the needs of those who were in distress, left an indelible mark on the Apostle Paul. Different gifts, different callings of these two offices. As you consider nominating someone, please keep these things in mind. So what does God want from all of us? Most commentators will say, and it's it's wonderful, that 1 Timothy ends with a hymn. 1 Timothy ends with a hymn. He's going through all of these qualifications of elders and deacons, and then he ends with a hymn focusing on Jesus Christ It's almost as though Paul is saying, now let's stand and sing about all of these things that I've just told you. It's that important. I've told you what God wants from elders. I've told you what what God wants from deacons. Let's stand and sing praise to Jesus. Specifically, it's a coronation hymn. It's worship. Let's talk about officers and their responsibilities now. This is all about ultimately worshiping Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. Great indeed we confess the mystery of godliness. Jesus, He, He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. That's what this is all about. This isn't about some kind of church bureaucracy or committee. This is ultimately about Him and worshiping Him. There is only one perfect elder. There's only one perfect deacon. There's only one perfect shepherd. There's only one perfect servant. It's Jesus. Um, 
not easy preaching on a passage like this. The more I talk, the shorter I get. You know, I just feel like fading right here behind this pulpit. That's not me. And it's not you. It's Jesus. It is not me. And it is not you. It's Jesus. We need to all remember that. In fact, Peter, in uh, chapter 5, closes out his letter. And he says this. Chapter 5, verse 5, 1 Peter. Likewise, please remember this. He's talked about commissioning elders and having them be examples. He says this. Likewise, you who are younger, younger, you who are younger, and he's talking about elders, officers, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul, Paul in 1 Timothy 3, finishes with praise. Peter in his letter, finishes with an emphasis on humility. And that's what we all need as we enter this process, as we continue to walk down the road, you know, our sinful, redeemed selves, trying to follow our our Savior. We need praise. We need humility. Let's walk into this process through the end of the year, praying for our officers, considering nominating new ones, going through the training with praise and humility, praising Him for what He's done for us and humility toward Him and toward one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this noble task. We thank You for those You call to be elders. We thank You for those You call uh, to be deacons. Lord, we thank You for those You you call into Your church, into Your family. And we thank You, Lord, for, for Paul's reminder and Peter's Reminder that this is all about humble praise. It's all about humble worship. Uh, we are not, <laughs> we, we will never be what, what, what is described here. This is ultimately this description of an elder, this description of a deacon, and this hymn is about Jesus. Who He is, what He does. Lord, we pray that that would drive us to our knees in humility and praise. And Lord, I pray that if it, we, we would not be tempted, we would not, none of us would be tempted, once we understand this, to point fingers. Well, that person doesn't live up to this, or this person, that we not, none of us live up to it. We never will. But Jesus did. The, the only 
person to ever live who lived a perfect life and the only person who ever lived who did not deserve to die on a cross. The rest of us did. He dies in our place. We thank You for His great faithfulness. We cling to Your grace and Your love and Your faithfulness. And you, we ask, we ask that You would walk us through this process and, and bless us with, with leaders, elders and deacons. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.